talking about love and dating. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. Thank you all for joining us this evening. Before we start, if you're new to the channel, please hit subscribe. Don't forget to hit that notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live. We're constantly adding cross streams with other channels and adding new shows. That said, if you enjoy what we do here at TIR and you don't want to make the yearly or monthly commitment to show your support with revolutionary merch, or you can show, I'm sorry, you can show your support with revolutionary merch. MT, I'm fumbling all over the merch pitch because you have to do the merch pitch. All right. So here we go. We have an Anglo pessimism tea. Perfect with your Tim's. It matches the wheat ones very, very nicely. Very, very you got a nice. mouse pad. Word is bond. Word is bond. Word is bond. Word is bond, son. So, son, you're going to want to get Pascal Smiling on anything you can get Pascal Smiling on. It's very difficult yeah. to get Pascal Smiling. There we go. He has irritable Pascal syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, <laughs> you can get him smiling on a mouse pad, you take it, okay? Get him so, smiling on a mug, you take it. So, this is a, a pre-recorded episode, so we're, we're not live right now, but the previous night, we had Ben Burgess on the show, and the fact that Ben Burgess referred to another white person as an alabaster leftist, I thought... <laughs> was proof that irritable Pascal syndrome is has penetrated the left. And it, is a, it is a thing and and people have it. They want it. They want to have it irritable irritable, I can't even say it. Mm-hmm. Uh thank you to all the patrons and YouTube and Twitch subscribers. You guys are the oh so important cog in the TIR machine. If you would like to be a part of what we do here, have access to call-in segment which we got to do the other night with ben that was the longest call-in segment i think we were done like two hours mm-hmm. um there's only one way become a patron 
Patreon.com slash Bitter Lake presents for as little as $3 a month or $30 for the year. You have access to all the champagne rooms, past and present. You get access to movie nights, which I think we are still doing this week. I have to double check, make sure we're still doing movie night this week. We're going to do a double feature. We're going to have fun movie nights and serious movie nights. So much fun. Let me bring in the irritable man himself. Mm -hmm. My my dog. The man that has everybody talking about alabaster leftists. Chocolate boy wonder. Pascal Roboy. (laughs) Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings to everyone. Peace and greetings to the restream crew who will be watching after we put this on live because we have no chat today. We have no chat today, and it always is so weird doing the show without that level of, of uh, viewer interaction. And a show like this, I'm, I'm probably going to watch it with people because I know everyone is going to have an opinion. Um, Susie is, um, how, 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 would, how do we best subscribe, sub, subscribe, describe Susie? She's a a free spirit in the sense of uh, she just says what she wants to say, which I really love about her. There is no like I'm worried about Twitter canceling or, or anything. Um, that's that's a good feeling to be that free. Um, go ahead. I didn't get an intro. <laughs> How you know I was done? I didn't know. I you just don't have the show it. notes. You don't have the answer, Sway. <laughs> Make me go full Kanye on you. <laughs> you never go full Kanye. You never go. You never go full Kanye. <laughs> Coming all the way from New York City, does she wear Tim's in her sleep? I don't have the answer to that question, but I do know she is the headless, faceless voice of reason. She is super producer M. Toussaint. Hello, hello. I do not wear Tim's in my sleep. I wear a North Face bubble jacket. (laughs) That's very important. That's very New York. Yeah. Now, in, in California, we have North Face, too. And this, back when I was a kid in the 90s, cats would wear their North Faces or bubble jet in San Francisco. This is like a San Francisco thing with shorts. Is that mm. a, <laughs> Are you guys more strategic with your bubble jackets? We are. We, we wear them when it's cold. <laughs> That's what we do. It was a fashion choice. It was a fashion choice. This is like 90, geez, like 91, 92. You see cats with like shorts. Bubble jacket. Fashion victim choice. <laughs> I said it was a San Francisco thing. Just, <laughs> there was like eight black people in San Francisco. They had to they had to stand out. Nice. In the nineties there was eight. Have you seen the movie The Last Black Man in San Francisco? No, I haven't seen any movies. Pascal, have you seen The Last Black Man in San Francisco? No, I want to say is that a movie? It, I heard it was really? really good. You know, I'm so mad at y'all for being all blackity black and y'all ain't seen the blackest movie that's like really good. I heard it was really good, yeah. 
it was it was a beautiful love letter to that area, that part of San Francisco. Remember, San Francisco is only seven square miles. It's a very small city. And the black population in that city is pretty much gone. Um, and it was a real. I, I dug that movie aesthetically. Mm-hmm. They did a really good job. Um, some of these new directors, the way they capture some of these areas, maybe because it's like I'm from there. They make it look real beautiful. Like there was a movie about Oakland. Oh, what was it called that Netflix did where the kid shoots somebody? It's always some violent, but they they showed you kind of you know how beautiful Oakland really is, even in some of the parts that might be less desirable to live. And the the, the last black man in San Francisco, Danny Glover, who's from San Francisco, was a producer on it, and uh, the cinematography is just it's just gorgeous. So if you really want to know why I love just walking around the city with my four-year-old, um, check out that movie, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Speaking of black people in San Francisco, let's bring in our guest. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? She's not, yeah, she's like off camera, like, there's no black people here in the UK, or at least where I'm at. Susanna Kleeman is a writer from London who works in digital tech. Her first book, my Rejections is a short memoir of hubris, humiliation, and triumph against the odds. Her first novel, Twice, is out now on Zero Books. She's also a host of Fatal Dates, a YouTube show on the Sublation YouTube channel. I recently was a guest on that show, but Doug Lane is suppressing that episode. He is being a hater. He's not putting it out fast enough because that's how Doug is. I'm just kidding. That's not there's a release schedule. I made that. If you want to send Doug hate mail, call him a hater. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please welcome a, wo- a woman I actually really enjoy talking to. I'm still kind of buzzing. And our show was like over two weeks ago. We did three weeks ago. Please welcome Susanna Kleeman. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, I, it was good, our chat. It was good. And it is, uh, you just lied about Doug. It's coming out next Tuesday. Um, yes, <laughs> I said I was it. lying about Doug. I was just kidding. Okay, good. Okay, well, you were lying about Doug. And uh, yeah, it was good chatting to you. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> uh, Susanna Kleeman, a.k.a. Doug Defender. <laughs> Okay. It's okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks Susie, for um. I, no, I'm I'm actually kind of stoked you're here. Uh, the night before I went on your show, I was on a date, and I was telling my date about going on your show, and she was like, "Is this just research then for you going on this show?" I was like, "Well, maybe shit." <laughs> play your cards right. <laughs> yeah, play your cards. Everything when it when everything's researched, that's a wonderful situation, isn't it? Then you don't need to commit to anything, and it's just all research and research for this show also, right? Uh, I've been researching for like the last forty-five years. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, These good. kids have been uh, accidental research, of, you know, like explosions in the lab. Okay. <laughs> But we have serious questions for you, Susanna. Okay. 
Fatal dates. Can you tell those that don't know about fatal dates what fatal dates is, what it's about, and what you are doing on fatal dates? Um, yeah, sure. Um, it's a show about real connection in an unreal world. That unreal world is our unreal world. And um, when I'm using the terms real, unreal, um, it's kind of to do with so the, the show comes out. Well, actually, there's, there's different things that the show comes out of. There's an official thing that the show comes out of. And then there's a few unofficial and then a few prohibited things that I won't talk about that the show comes out of. But, you know, my official origin story for the show is um, at a low point in my life, I started reading a lot of Jean Baudrillard and I found that um, his work, particularly his work about reality, unreality, hyperreality, and for I'm sure everybody knows about Jean Baudrillard, but for those that don't, <laughs> he is the inspiration behind the Matrix movies. So all that stuff about blue pill, red pill, real, unreal, that is directly from his work and the Wachowskis credit him for it. And also at the beginning of the first Matrix movie, you can see Neo opens a book that he keeps his secret software stash in. And that book is Baudrillard's book, Simulacra and Simulacrum, um, which is a book about the world that we live in, things being real, unreal, things being realer than real, beautiful digital images on the internet being far more beautiful uh, uh, than our real life. Um, and I read this Baudrillard and it kind of blew my mind. And I read some more Baudrillard and um, I read his book, Fatal Strategies. And the reason my show is called Fatal Dates is because Fatal Strategies is a book he wrote that his other books talk about the difficult situations that we're in. But his book, Fatal Strategies, is about what you can do given that situation. And um, that is the official backstory of um, my show fatal dates which uh basically i go on dates with people and I, what i'm trying to do is is blast through cut through the noise of tech porn apps all the stuff that 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 you know all the stuff that we're on our phone with all the time to see if it's possible to still have a really real connection with anybody given all that and that's what i'm trying to do in my um in my fatal dates so there you go interesting I wanted to jump in and ask you a question, if you don't mind, Susanna. Please. I'm juxtaposing your fatal dates narrative of trying to get through all of the digital, the digitalization of human contact with another guest that we have who's part of the Sublation family, which is Alfie. Because yes. Alfie, Alfie I is saw, kind of like, I saw Alfie's um, appearance on the show, and I was quite shocked by some of the stuff that Alfie was saying. But sorry, don't let me interrupt you, Pastor. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, Alfie was out there banging robots. <laughs> oh, Alfie. He's also trying to blast through the noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he has a kind of different outlook, I think. I mean, excuse me for trying to paraphrase his position, but he embraces the technology and the digitalization and the use of it as a means of providing a healthy alternative to the banality of human contact while mm -hmm. you, I think, are trying to cut through it. So I'm trying to find, is there a happy medium between the two or do you completely disagree with his attempt to uh, find a way around the normative human interaction that traditionally has been the way in which people court each other and use basically whatever technology provides? Mm -hmm. Do you find mm -hmm. that problematic mm -hmm. well i tell you what in, in in answering what i'm going to do is talk to talk to you in your argument rather than sort of what for us doing the paraphrasing of alfie but let me say let me say first of all whatever gets you through the night okay we're all here having a really weird time 
in this mm -hmm. existence. Whatever gets you through the night, whatever helps, whatever, whatever. Um, however, as an opinionated person, I've got my own ideas and it may just be I'm talking about myself here. But 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 let's, um, you know, given that what I would say is the first thing I would say is I really want to make it clear. I don't think that there was some golden age in the past and then all of a sudden virtual digital technology came and messed everything up. That's absolutely not what I think. I think from my perspective, I think um, things have for many millennia forever been messed up, particularly between what we call men and what we call women. And what I think about new technology is it, 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 it exacerbates and sh and it's the same stuff, but it's got new functionality. I don't think there's this dividing line beforehand, everything was fine. Afterwards, everything became unfine. But I also think it's interesting. Again, we, we shouldn't talk about Alfie. He's not, he's not here to defend himself, but Alfie has a podcast about psychotherapy and um, Baudrillard has a lot of issues with psychotherapy. And, and what I think is there's a project underway which is helped by digital technology, which is a project where you can satisfy yourself with machines around you and the contact machines give you, and you don't need to go beyond and do anything else. And that is kind of also, I'm generalizing here, but but I'm sorry, that is that is my hobby, generalizing. So please do pick me up and tell me all my errors in a minute when I finish saying my stuff. But um, psychotherapy is also a kind of project about you inside your castle walls, it's about you solving yourself you being inside your castle wall, you working out in your head what happened in the past, what you're doing now. It's a, it's a, it's a project of inside. To the same extent, the, the tools that digital um, technology gives us are tools where I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you, I've got all the machines around me, I can have illusion of human contact, I can have it, but it's all, it's all within it, I can choose. And it also in the same way, I can choose my filters, I can choose how I present myself. It's a, it's a we could call it anastic, and another way of saying that word is it's a kind of masturbatory project. And I think that for me, I'm not interested in myself. I'm not interested in sitting inside my castle walls, working stuff out in my head, maybe because I'm a hedonist, maybe because of whatever other reasons. What I'm interested in is is connection with something outside me. I want to be changed by something that isn't me, whether that's often just go to a totally separate place, interact with someone who's very different from me. I don't believe that inside my head, or, you know, with, with a robot that is built by somebody like me, a human being, according to an I basically I want to be surprised. And if something is just within this one space, I don't think it's going to surprise me. Does that answer your question? No, that's a very, very effective and, and deliberate answer. I appreciate it in that you, you personalize it in that you're not making a general statement as if to say anyone who follows, you know, the digitalization of romance is wrong and this is a way to do it you're basically saying what your aesthetic preference is and this is what you like and you know whatever if whatever 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 works for you is fine i will tell you though what i do have a problem with i think that we can get very confused that that we can imagine that um we've got very good excellent uh, connections and interactions with people and furthermore what we can do is we can make a lie about those things in public platforms on our instagram feeds we can talk to ourselves and to other people about how things are very fantastic and i think that is very much a digital culture it seems to me beforehand when there was less at stake because you were just talking to a few people in your in where you lived or your friends or whatever you could say any old stuff but i feel that these digital technologies can make us want to show off our love and show off our relationships and show off this and show off that in a way that has got nothing to do with what it seems to me. And, and maybe I'm just an old romantic, but nothing to do with, with the very personal space where actually you can take off your mask, unguard yourself and talk directly to another human being that you get on with and maybe do more than talk with that one other person. And, and it seems to me that that possibly 
is a is a source of great pleasure. And I think that sometimes the the public realm handed over by digital technology and you know even even by by us talking on a podcast like this that kind of thing it can bring in a lot of lies and it would seem to me that that's um that's an enemy of a true exciting connection i i agree with that wholeheartedly um we kind of i think we touched on that a little bit when you and i were talking some weeks back but sure um i definitely like to keep my personal life personal you know, but, it, it, there's something to be said about having an actual, you know, relationship that you don't need to show the world to prove that it exists. It's true. But then one has to be careful that one hasn't processed and brought the filters into one's own head. It can be very difficult indeed, can't it? You can still be thinking here I am in my private relationship, but you can still a camera can be going off in your head and you can still very much be thinking. And how will this play out? How will it look rather than, you know, it, it, how will it look? recorded basically and how would it look given the public realm that we all live in all the time and I think those things are difficult. Um, the other thing I think about all this technology is um, when I was growing up many thousands of years ago in Britain everything was a lot uglier right when I traveled um, in what we call the tube what you might better know as the subway it was filthy and dirty and um, the, the, the posters on the walls were all peeled you could see all the posters underneath it there was a general ugliness Clothes were more expensive. It was more difficult to look beautiful. There wasn't in, uh, Instagram tutorials on how to do your lighting and makeup. People in general were uglier and the world was uglier. Um, and I think that the you could call it the democratization of beauty, which it seems to me is what digital technology does. And something, again, that I've got from reading Baudrillard is to understand that the driver of this is less a wonderful desire for everything to be beautiful. And it's more to do with when things look nice, we're more tempted to spend our money on them. Um, and there has been a, what he calls a trans aestheticism of the world, a kind of beautification of the world and a spreading of beauty and art into every facet of the world. And to a certain extent, a kind of pornification of the world also, that, that, that we have a sense that if things look beautiful and lovely, we're going to give our attention to them more. We're going to perhaps spend our money on them more. And if we make ourselves more beautiful and lovely, then we will have all those things that we want to. And those things are within easy reach. There's been a democratization, you could say, of beauty and aesthetics. And um, all in the name of what we might call technical capitalism. And um, I think that's really dangerous and difficult. And I think we can much more easily fall in love with images, fall in love with people as images on screens and fall in love with ourselves as images on screens and therefore become a highly narcissistic culture led through the nose by machines that know if things look pretty and sparkly, we'll spend our money on them. So how do you feel about, and we were just fooling around with this the other day, um, one of our friends was using this AI app that you put pictures of yourself in and then it spits out images of you. Yes, I saw and some very handsome images of you on, on social media there, Jason. <laughs> very handsome images. One, one of them with the mirrored shades. I don't know about that one so much, but there was a very chiseled was horrible. That was like the only one where I was actually a black guy. But I, I used this <laughs> app, the same app that our friend uh, Derek Varn used. And, and, uh, it spit out these pictures of me. We were joking about some of them last night, but um, I was telling MT and, and the guys like the only the reason why they had all these shirt off images, the only pictures I've been taking of myself is like the document of fitness journey that I've been on to see if I could, you know, get in shape. She doesn't. But, she doesn't believe you. Great, That's what that way. She doesn't have to. She can. You know what, Susie? <laughs> 
And so that's why I had the picture. And it, like, there's like no, sh- I, I thought it was funny. That was like one of the few pictures where I wasn't cockeyed in it. But I'm seeing. <laughs> just by accident, just by pure accident, there was a topless photo of you. Okay, fine. Sorry, carry on. That- mm-hmm. Topless is I the word. I wanted to have recent photos, right? I didn't want it to use <laughs> old ones. <clears throat> you know what, Miss. <clears throat> <laughs> Why is she not allowed on the screen? I'm just curious about this. Why is she? Uh, why her is she a because she's a really. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. Is that true, Emily? You, 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 you don't want to show your face on this show. You don't. Want to I actually don't. <laughs> I think it's funny that people assume that I'm not allowed to. <laughs> but uh, it, it was uh, it was definitely a, a conscious choice. Um, I've been on the internet for many years and I've never shown my face. I find mm-hmm. it allows me to be more candid in my mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. and in my posts mm-hmm. and it works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally understand. I totally understand. Uh, but I, I, never but I know what she looks like. I know what that is. But sorry, but, but, but you were, Jason, you were telling me you wanted to ask, you were talking about this AI generator. Or yeah, you just so wanted they, to talk about your, your, You know what I wanted to talk about? Hush. That's your topless picture. Get all. What the hell you think you is? Uh, I'm seeing people use their AI photo in their dating profiles. Yeah. It's bad enough that, that a lot of people use filters, which is like, oh, dude, don't use a filter. Like, I'm going to see you in real life. But maybe you're not. You know, we talked about this a bit when, when you came on my show, but maybe you're not. Because I think, unspokenly, there's a kind of, there's a sort of pleasure in being on dating sites with absolutely no intention of ever meeting up with anybody. Just to have a little excitement, flutter, not to be yourself, to play with what an avatar of you, given your best features heightened, how you might be able to attract people with absolutely no intention of ever meeting up with anybody. And I think it's men and women who do that. And I think it's, you know, to a certain extent, why not? Why not? Why not? If everything is just play and uh, image tweaking and you have no intention of going and meeting up with that person. But, you, but on the dating site, you have to give the impression that you do intend to meet up with that person or else people are not going to give you their interest. Right. That's but that's back in the 80s and 90s. And I don't know if you remember this, Susie. I don't know how many black people you were hanging around in, in 1988. Um do you remember Weaves, Pascal, when Weaves were new and it was like, oh, my God, that's not her hair. And it was like a thing. People would get upset about it. And there's that whole joke in the movie, I'm going to get you, sucker, that the woman is fake. Yes. Do you remember that scene? And she, you know, she's got the weave. She had the contacts. She had the fake butt, fake nails. And she ends up taking off a leg. You know. <laughs> it's a satire. But I remember when, like, being fake was do you remember this mt we're not that different in age there was a song called fake by oh alexander oh was it alexander o'neill this is alexander o'neill Susie right now i'm sorry Susie. it is <laughs> that's that's okay different sides of life <laughs> uh but pascal you remember this 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 yes. is when you were in your heyday i remember this song i remember fake by alexander o'neill of course i do oh my god Susie. there we go Susie's with it. Look at me. (laughs) Susie was hanging out in Bristol in 88. (laughs) Her and Banksy and the the rest of the crew. Wasn't it Busy B? 
I don't know about Busy B. That's where the limits of my knowledge are. Busy B. <laughs> soul to soul. Soul to soul. Mark. Yeah, soul to soul. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah. oh yeah, Busy B. So, no, no, yeah. of course. Thank yes. You. There you go. Yes. There you go. Um, but but. Do you remember this? It was well, I don't know what it was like for you in the UK. Was it was there something similar? Was there a similar phenomenon for you in the UK around this time? Yeah, of course there was. Of course there was. And it is not just about weaves, you know. There was it was a big insult to say to someone, you're fake, blah, blah. And and of course, to, to a certain extent there still is. But I tell you something, I was once I still had an interesting chat with 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 a man once, and he said to me, I like it when women have fake tits, fake hair, fake nails. They're making an effort. Wow. <laughs> wow. That yeah, that goes with that they're, thing. They're making um, an effort. And you know, yeah. all, all of this, the, the big the big discussion behind all of this is to what extent do you want an authentic relationship with another human being that might completely transform you and all of your ideas? You might have to park yourself, you might, you know, to what extent do you want to be split apart by contact with somebody else? Or to what extent do you want to kind of purchase a look? something from someone else not just a look but purchase the attention of someone who might make a kind of deal with you that would say yeah okay I'll, I'll laugh at your jokes for the rest of of of, of our lives as long as you pay me five hundred dollars a month um you know and and who's to say that the one is better than the other and that is a discussion to be had and I think that though perhaps at some a point in the past it was clearer which sort of relationship you were in. And I think what's happening now is everything becomes smooshed together and you can very much say to yourself, I'm in a true love relationship. Whereas the reality is you are a bit more in one of those arranged marriages. I'll laugh at your jokes if you take out the garbage rubbish um, and you know, that sort of thing. And, and um, those things also, you know, that, that it's not so clear cut that there's one and there's the other, but um, I don't, th yeah, I don't think, yeah, I, you know, people have always been fake. <laughs> <laughs> MT, I know you have some things you wanted to talk to Susie about. Oh, I don't even know where to start. Well, just picking up on, on what you had said just a second ago, there's this saying that there's no such thing as an ugly woman, only a lazy woman. Mm. <laughs> well... That opens up such a fascinating topic. I mean, something else, a big thing that I realized when I read Baudrillard, and I have to say, I was standing there reading it to begin with in the bookshop, and I, I, was, I didn't necessarily know that I was going to buy it, understand it or anything, but something that leapt out to me, and it leapt out to me purely for selfish reasons, is what he says is, um, and, and I, I've said this, I think I said this on the show before, and I don't mean to bore, but I just as a brief recap, what he taught me, so what he, a man, taught me is that um, there's no equality between men and women because women have much greater power than men because men fall for women's bodies. And they do that not necessarily because of, um, you know, the natural way that we are wired, but, but because of how society has developed to a certain extent, whatever. So that's to say that women have got a great deal of power. Uh, there's no such thing as, as uh, an ugly woman, just a, a lazy woman. All women, I, and I really feel this, all women are gorgeous, fabulous, wonderful. All men are under their spell. And many men don't want women to know or understand that. And some men, mm -hmm. this is just my personal belief here, and we can get into it, some men have developed something that we call capitalism as a way of controlling <laughs> as a way of controlling this tremendous imbalance which otherwise might make them more like i don't know drones in a beehive rather than um, magnificent warriors thinkers artists and 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 world leaders 
And um, I this when I it's not I, some of this is what I'm saying and some of this is what I read in Baudrillard. I, I can't say that this is what Baudrillard exactly said, but this is what I took from it. What I, what I took from it is wow, I've got so much power and and nobody's ever told me about that before. And that is also when I said to you that my my um, podcast has got official uh, origin stories and unofficial origin stories. We now we enter the territory of some of the unofficial origin stories of my podcast, which um which you know I may or may not talk about. Oof. I mean, you get you get kind of personal and deep on the show. Well, I do. And we we had a serious chat there. We definitely had a serious chat there. And um, let's see how much of that serious that serious chat you want to end up in the final cut. I don't know if, if Doug will. Sure you know, Susie, you asked me that. And, I, and I'm always like, look, I said it live. Yeah. Thank you for saying it. Thank you for saying it. I loved our chat. And what I felt about it is, yes, I, you know, I say, oh, my show is about trying to to cut through the noise. And I felt that we did. I felt we had a serious discussion and we got to the roots of things. I would have been more comfortable with just you talking about your personal stuff rather than me then also talking about my personal stuff. But I'll get Doug to cut that bit out. So it doesn't matter. Oh, that's. (laughs) (laughs) And I I understand because sometimes you say stuff on here because you get so into the conversation. You know, I can't speak for Pascal or MT. And and you think back, you're like, oh damn, I said that on the internet. <laughs> but, but that's a good thing because what that means is is we're establishing a chat where we're talking to each other and not thinking about the vast wall of people who might be then saying, and it like what that person said. No, no, no. Anyway, whatever. And this is one of those things where I think people get real opinionated about it because, uh, and and I don't think you're trying to define love for anybody at all. No, and I'm not even, you know, I'm not even talking about love necessarily. Um, I think that love, so Baudrillard's term, things made hyper real, made more real than real. When I look at love, when I look at Valentine's cards, when I look at even the hearts that we ping at the end of every tweet and all of that sort of thing, it feels like, again, it's a massively commodified area, isn't it? And um, the whole idea that the path of one's life is... You grow up, you're miserable. Oh, you're going to find this love, and this love is going to make everything better. You know, there's always this love button, and I, you know, what is this love button that we're talking about? And um, again, you know, the idea that love is something that's just inherent and intrinsic to us is just not true. And I'm hoping on my show in in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks' time to talk to someone who's a historian of emotion. I'm really interested in that. You know, the idea that there's this thing called love and it's always existed is just not true. You know, ancient Greek ideas of what love are and what a, a relationship is and what a marriage is got absolutely nothing to do with the way that we portray it today. But yet, you know, for us, love is this holy virtue. We don't have religion anymore. And m- many people may or may not think that they have politics, but everybody got love. And it seems to me that love is a very it's a, it's a concept worth interrogating. It seems to me a very suspicious thing. And I think it's a very suspicious thing for women. I do think that I think. We often, you know, again, I'm just generalizing, but we grow up in a male society. We've grown up with certain stereotypes and ideas given to us from the earliest ages. Fairy tales, you know, Pixar and Disney movies. Oh, Pixar movies are a bit better, but nevertheless, we're given very certain ideas. And we're given certain ideas of, okay, it's it's tough out there, but there's this thing. And if you do this correctly, and if you look in this way, and if this, if you manage to please, if you if if, if you're able to do this. And, you know, I've gone down those tracks and, and, and it hasn't always worked out for me the way that I thought. And I've become more and more curious and suspicious about it. And um, in the Baudrillard I've read, especially in his book, Fatal Strategies, he says, he's, he says, love, as we understand it, is a Christian idea developed 2000 years ago 
it's a it's a machine in many ways and it's um it, it it's it's a kind of it's an opium of the masses and he says that he's not interested in love and what he's interested in instead is something he calls seduction which isn't necessarily casanova with a cloak whisking in through the windows or something like that and and seduction's got a bad rap because it implies a seducer it implies one person getting something out of the other person but what he says is seduction as best played an interchange between a man and a woman sorry or a man and a man and a woman or you know an interchange between two people yeah. which has a spark and has plays around all the uh, around the idea of sex as something that might happen out of it he says that is what the interesting dialogue and exchange is and it's a much purer thing rather than saying oh i love you oh when are we going to make it official blah 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 something that is always about a private game with its own rules that that's a that that's a more interesting space and place and for me and you know i i, I believe that Pascal. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to ask. Uh, you said something very interesting. Is that the the actual the center of power when it comes to the dynamic between men and women is actually with women, but one hundred percent. But the, it is the system of capitalism which robs women of the power and creates a kind of false marketing of institutions that allow men to siphon that power and control it. What I wanted to ask you is that how do you rationalize the current growth of things like the manosphere or or incel culture or these these men with this grievance that says that women are not acting the way that they should based on the fact that we are the one that should be in demand? What are mm -hmm. your thoughts on these types of on this politics, if you will? Mm -hmm. this, this what I think and is, a, um, and it's effect I, on relationship. Well, again, I'm just talking off the top of my head here, um, so you'll forgive me. But what it seems to me, thinking about this, reading about this over the years, is men have always had it because men are really vulnerable to women because because there's just a, an imbalance because because and I'm again I, I'm not I'm not setting it on female bodies. It doesn't have to be somebody with breasts and a vagina, for example. But but the women what women offer their bodies the idea that a woman can give you love the idea that the woman is not that the world is not uh built for women that it's built as a kind of prison for women and you can have to kind of go through and find women never uh, and never less through men are very very vulnerable to women it would seem to me and sometimes when i'm thinking about it i think well it's kind of mirrored even in 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 the you know how reproduction happens how there's one egg and a lot of sperm but you know here i might be talking just total nonsense so i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> step back and go away from that. and and what it seems to me that men have been able to do and not always because at points in the past and in other cultures, it's not always done in this way, but this is the way that it has been normalized in our Western culture. And sometimes we can forget there's other ways of doing it. And there always there have been other ways of doing it. What what men have done is said, OK, well, we're not happy with that situation where women can just do what the hell they want. And, and what we're going to do is what we're going to leverage is our superior physical power. And we're also going to do a bit of brain control mind washing. We're going to say to women, in fact, you're less than us. Um, in fact, you can't live without us. And we're also going to build a complicated, again, you know, I, I am just generalizing here. We'll make our complicated world, which women win, are not going to be able to do too well and unless they've got one of us as their protectors. And something that Baudrillard says, he says, um, the first simulation, what he means by simulation is something for something that's an image of something rather than the, than the thing itself. The first simulation is money. And he very much says money is a tool it, it, with many uses. And one of the tools of this 
money is that it allows men to have control over women because it says you can swap something about yourself with something that I have, money, which will allow you to get some other things that you might want in the world. And um, so, I, so anyway, I think this system ran in Western society for quite a long time, a system which it's important for men to let women forget about the, in fact, much greater power they have over men and, and, and to have that controlled by men by a variety of ways. And that worked out well. And I think I can, I can, I have a lot of sympathy for men and I think it must be difficult to be so physically vulnerable to another um, group of people who are not so physically vulnerable and, and emotionally vulnerable too. But I think what's happened recently and part of it to do with technology and part of it is just to do with the liberalization that appeared to be an emancipation that came with capitalist societies in the West you know, let's say for the part, the, the project that began with the Enlightenment, which ultimately is a project that's about um, giving what is called equality to men, to women, to all sorts of people. But actually, what it feels like to me is less a project of equality and more uh, a project of monoculture. So that we should all, the answer to the problem is that we should all just become white men, basically. That what everything that we do say, we should all become white men. And in that project, Women, so if we think of the world as a place that was that was perhaps designed to as a defense against women, a defense against their power, what's happened, especially since the Second World War, is those things have mutated and women can now come in. And women have forgotten that uh, they had a different and do have a different other power, which doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily to do with having the same jobs as men, doing all that sort of thing. Nevertheless, it's good to have jobs, isn't it? It's good to have an income. It's good to be able to, to, to do all those things. It's a tremendous bind. And in that project where women, to some extent, become men, I realize what I'm saying here is in many ways, you know, reprehensible, whatever, I'm just going to say it. Nevertheless, where everybody becomes a white man, it means the actual white men themselves, perhaps particularly white men who, who weren't such very high achieving white men, are, are pushed aside. And therefore, not only do they not have the status in the world that they used to have, in the old bad days where women really didn't have a place, couldn't couldn't be independent at all in society. But they also are still vulnerable to women. So they've lost everything, if you see what I mean. So I, although aspects of this culture are reprehensible, misogynistic, awful, I understand the roots of their frustration. It must be really bad, not only not to be able to have sex with beautiful women that you see or, or any woman that you see, but also not even to have status and power in the society to feel, at least I've got that. I wonder what you think about that. You said a mouthful. That's, 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 that's a very, very powerful analysis. And uh, I think that there's a significant amount of truth to it. Um, I don't know in terms of like we are all becoming white men per se, because the benefits of white men in terms of wealth accumulation isn't being inured to all of us. Equally. Okay, but not all white men. I, I, I don't mean just pull the not all card, but not all white men mm. are wealthy and powerful, are they? There's there's your new hashtag for your show, Susie. Not all white men. <laughs> but all if men. everyone's trying to become a white man and there's different degrees of success, then there are some black women who have become white men. There are some Latin men who have become white men. Mm-hmm. And so these white men who have been marginalized or whatever are that much more marginalized because I, I all these other great- people are white men now. I think to such a great extent, everything, our world that we live in is determined by algorithms, algorithms built by white men, right? And, mm. and, and, and they, it's spaces built by white men, digital spaces built by white men, but, you know, um, uh, so for example, 
you know, the, the, what I was talking about before, beautiful images appearing everywhere. That's very much the world is seen through the eyes of a man, not necessarily a white man. But I feel that I, my, I, feel, my, I feel a distortion in my own perspective. I'm now looking at beautiful things, you know, it, and, but yet when I look at men and when I'm attracted to men, it's not about the beautiful body in the same way it might be for a man look, looking at a woman. It's about a whole host of, of other things. So I, I feel that project's kind of been done on myself, obviously. Everything I'm saying here is a terrible generalization. You know, shoot me. I sometimes feel that our age also is one of minute, specific things you can only talk about what you absolutely know and you can source. And it's boring to me. And because um, I'm first and foremost a novelist, I've, I've, I've come onto these platforms by accident. I feel I have a freedom to just to generalize. So just have to forgive me for that. I think it's a useful conversation starter. Damn right. I mean, walk into a bar and be like, everybody's a white man. You're going to start some fun conversations. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a good way to walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Two black eyes. But that's what the Matrix bar. is. Sorry, I, I know, MC, that you have a question, but I just want to say that mm -hmm. is when Odriad uses, he coined the term the Matrix in the way that we use it today and the movie uses it. That's what mm -hmm. the Matrix is. It's the laying down of similar difference like an ice cube tray it says you're a little bit like this and i'm a little bit like that and we're different but you know what we're similarly different we're the same shaped difference and what he says is that is a really abhorrent thing and it strips things of their power it is it, the matrix creates that to nullify everybody's power so he says for example between men and women he says the power is asymmetric women have much more power than men but in order to destroy that power what you do is you say Oh, no, you don't. You've got long hair and I've got short hair. You've got this body part and I've got that body part, but they're just the same. And the same thing in terms of cultures also. Anyway, sorry, I was interrupting you, MC. What, what were you going to say? That's fascinating. Oh, man. We don't have <laughs> enough time with you already. Like, the interview's not over, but we don't have enough time. <laughs> you know, I'm great Audrey, in case you hadn't noticed. And I think that some people say, oh, he's the postmodern nonsense. Oh, but it's got nothing to do with, you know, true struggle, the way things are. I think it's got absolutely everything to do with that. I think it's a really vicious, cold analysis that is brilliant and illuminates everything to me. I can I can see. Um, okay, so let, let's see if I can uh, spell this out, how I'm thinking. I heard a psychologist once say that I'm getting an echo. I don't know why. It's coming from um, Susie's side for some reason. Is it? I'm sorry. What can I do to de-echo myself? I don't know. Uh, keep don't talking, MPL. I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so I heard a psychologist once say that, you know, if you like, <laughs> if there's a, a general reason for homosexuality in the human species, it could be because our receptors for beauty for the same gender or the same sex are very dim. And this is some sort of lesson that they have to teach the species and, you know, maybe, quote unquote, that's why they exist, right? I have also come across the idea that the homosexuals have taught us their, their lesson we're, we're learning it or we're not. But now we're moving on to the asexuals teaching us their lesson, which is that beauty can be found in anyone. So I'm thinking on the left, we, we, we should be more focused on agape, but we don't seem to be focused on that kind of love. Isn't that supposed to be the whole project? I don't know. Lots of thoughts. <laughs> 
That's exactly. not terribly organized, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't think. I think it's I think it's really good to analyze and to look at all these things. I think it's a worthwhile project, but I don't think that there are rules. I really, although what I'm saying to you are, are rules that that I, I don't think, you know, yes, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And I think that there are so many useful things that come out of the gender discussions that people have these days. There's many unhelpful and unuseful things too, but there is, it just, it, it shakes us again. It breaks in, it breaks down stories that were told to us in our head and makes us see things in different ways, remove shame from us. You know, we're all living here on our one life. Let it be the life that we want in whatever way we want. But I'm always then brought up against, anyway, uh, you know, I, uh, yeah. no, I, 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 I agree. And, and I, I, I yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say something. Of course. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh, well, I just wanted to ask because, like, the only other person that I even know of that does what you do would be like Carrie Bradshaw, Sarah Jessica Parker's <laughs> character on Sex <laughs> in the City. And um, she's a writer. And and as are as are you, writers sometimes throw themselves into experiences to have something to write about. And I wonder how much you feel yourself fudging. Or if you feel like you are, are you pushing these experiences that you have to have something to write about? Or is that kind of just your personality anyway? You don't really have to push. Well, firstly, um, Carrie Bradshaw is meeting people in the real world, right? And look at me. I'm talking mm -hmm. about all this, how digital stuff, you know, you have less skin in the game. All I'm doing, I, I, I didn't meet Jason in person, did I? Everything is, is mm. just through screen. So that is an entirely yeah. different and, and, and separate experience. And mm -hmm. uh, also, I would say I, I am I am writing a book about all this, but the, the, it, the book is not about these dates that I'm having. The book is about mm -hmm. dating tips that I have acquired from Baudrillard and from other things, which are just perhaps at variance with dating tips that that we might normally know. But then the other thing I would say is it's it's great. I feel great freedom to be a writer and as I say I've, I've sort of stumbled into into the space of left YouTube I love it um, but I understand that for other people who come to this as academics as lawyers as people who's not saying that you know a great part of what they date is, is about fantasizing and making stuff up there's a lot more if, if you say something wrong if you if you prove you haven't read x y and z there's a, there's a lot more limitation so what I feel is that to call yourself a writer and particularly to call yourself a novelist, a fantasist that opens up the space for, you know, I'm, I, I, I gift myself a great deal more freedom to talk wildly about any of these things um, as, as, as I would like to do. So I, I wonder if that answers the question. I mean, I'm not, it, I tell you something, it is interesting doing these fatal dates. It is, it, it takes me places that I obviously didn't think it, that it would beforehand. I, I wonder, is this really a date I've been on? I've called it fatal dates. Is it, is it what's my, and I do feel connected with the people that I have had these intimate discussions with, because when you share something intimate about yourself, you have a connection with that person. And as I said, the whole point of these conversations I'm doing on the show is I want to get down to the deeper level. And the price of getting down to the deeper level is if you become, you know, you forge a connection with that person. Yes, you do. So who knows? I've only I've only done um, four, nearly five interviews now. So I'm just at the beginning of my journey. But I tell you, I'm very interested. The next person I'm going to talk to is a pickup artist. So I wonder because Yay. I feel like... I feel like so I'm a theoretician of love seduction because I've read Baudrillard, but this guy's mm -hmm. a theoretician of love seduction because he's read um, Robert Green. No, Neil Strauss. 
Um, what is this? You know, anyway, so I, 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 and I wonder how it's going to be to talk to somebody. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that one, which I'm, I'm going to film the next few days. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Do you I'll remember that, uh, that show on one of those channels where they were showing people how to become a pickup artist? Do you remember that show, MT? There's a, there's a couple. And it was there was one the where the host is like a magician. Is it that yeah. one you're thinking of? He wasn't a magician. He was just like, his name was Mystery or something. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't a magician. That was his whole thing. Like, you got a peacock. And you got to yeah. wear these dumbass hats. <laughs> yeah. I'm so interested. I, I don't want to talk about it before I meet the guy, but I want to talk about because it seems to me that's really about making a false persona and not online, but that's about making a whole false persona and then playing it out in the world. And I'm absolutely fascinated to talk to him about that. I really want That's to understand. That's so much work, though. Like, jeez. Wait, depends I've on... Depends got, on... I've always gotten the vibe, but the mm. pickox, there's a thin line between pickup artists and pimps. Like, they, this is, it's the same energy. Very thin line, mm. yeah. Yeah, the pickup <laughs> artists don't have the heart to, to tell the woman to, like, okay, you know, I love you. We just got to make this rent, so I have a friend. I have never met a pickup artist. I have also not knowingly ever met a pimp, so I, I don't know. Um, perhaps Pascal, you've got more knowledge of those things than I do. Damn, uh, she just called you a pimp pickup artist. Wow. It's because of your ring. I just suggested maybe he's more, you know, he's, he's had more experience and met more people in the world than I have, please. Oh, well, sounds like you're trying to clean up calling him a pimp pickup artist. <laughs> that's all i hear that's all i hear that's all perhaps I that is just how pascal seduces that's Everybody. all that's his technique and the next thing you know oh girl you know i love you we just got to make this rant <laughs> and see, one thing i do want to say that the overriding feeling the overriding thing that i want to say and that's been a fantastic force in my life is to understand the degree i, I want I, I in fact although my dates are with men I really what I want is to talk to women in a different way. What I want to do is to say to women who can often not feel this, I want them to understand how the degree of power that they have and 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 the degree of vulnerability that men have to them and, and what that actually means. I mean, that's that's the most important thing that I have got out of this whole project. And I have to say it's made a big difference to me in my life. I feel much better feeling, knowing, understanding this. It, it clears up a lot to me about the world, a lot of confusion than I had before. Yeah, I what could is be. the driving force behind the man's vulnerability to women? It is the attraction, or is it the need for the feminine care? Um, well, I, I think we, we have to split it out between um, what is biologically needed and what society has put on to men and to women. So I think, firstly, if we deal with the biological stuff, I'm no biologist myself, but but you know, as I've said, I'm I'm a great generalizer, so. Let me generalize. Um, I, I stand to be corrected in, in, in the comments. It seems to me that nature would like men to be attracted to women so that the species can be perpetuated. And because women are the one who do the gestating, they necessarily have a bit more choice and they also have to be more alluring. Um, and I think women, you know, just got lots of different body parts. Uh, it's interesting. Many more things. Men's bodies seem plainer 
to me. But anyway, maybe we'll just leave it there. But I think societally, there's been another layer. And I think all this is much more complicated than just saying it's one thing or another. There's many, many, many layers to it. And societally, if that is the way of putting it, it seems to me that another layer has been put onto it, which is that men have said, I absolutely refuse to, I, I don't want to be that vulnerable person. I don't want to be, I'm going to create my capitalism. I'm going to become the subject. I'm going to become the boss we could say, um, and I'm going to have these women as as the objects, and I'm going to tell them that them being the objects uh, is is you know they're just the objects. I'm the subject. I'm the one who decides. I'm the one who decides who's going to marry who. Who I'm going to marry. I'm hideous. She's gorgeous, but I'm the king of Europe, so I'm going to marry her. Um, but I think that the but I think that that itself. I think sexuality is a fascinating, endless, changing paradox. And I think that as soon as you say, I'm the big boss, that makes you terribly vulnerable again, because you've put all your eggs in the basket of, I'm the big boss and I want to have sex with this peasant woman who's so beautiful. But then she, even though if you're the king of Europe, has a lot of power over you because, okay, you could rape her, sorry, but but you could, but to some extent, you're waiting for her to accept and to say, okay, I will. And to reflect back to you, you're hideous and horrible, but you're the king of Europe, so I'll have sex with you. But your, your desire has to be satisfied by her. So I think that by men having put this layer on, they've also shot themselves in the foot because what they're saying is, I love you, I want you, you object, but I still require you to reflect back to me or to succumb, to give in to me. And I think um, there's a great taboo in our culture, which we all, again, to go back to the discussion, we're all becoming white men. We all want to be subjects. We all want to be the one who chooses. I like this man now. I'm a woman and I no longer sit back and, and wait. But But I think that the playing with people who call themselves subjects or the king of Europe is a tremendously really powerful um, power, which I think sometimes is a power that's not talked about in our culture where everyone is in the shorthand becoming a white man, becoming a, a, an empowered consumer, we could say. Um, and I think that men are also very vulnerable to giving up their subjecthood in the privacy of the locked door and becoming objects themselves. So that's a rather confusing and long-winded um, uh, answer to your question. Does that answer things, Pascal? Wow. Pascal, are you becoming an object behind closed doors? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Susie's the one telling Pascal, you know, I love you. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to be so unprofessional, but I'm just going to have to plug in the power source of, um, of, of, of my computer. So I'm really sorry. About that. There you go. Plug it in, plug it in, plug it in. Oh, Go. Goodbye. Yeah. yeah. So, woman, <laughs> leave woman. Leave her in the object to become an object in her own space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. That's <laughs> we we have to we have to wrap this actually because uh, we've been talking. You. Susan. It, yeah, it, you, were right. time. You, you were right. You were right. Okay. I told yeah. you. Sorry about that. Best. No problem. Susie's a pistol. That's, a, that's Susie's a got, good. She's got a lot of answers to a lot of questions. She got answers to all my questions. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm so honored. I can't believe it. I was quite nervous to come on here, Pascal. I, I, I see you as a very stern interlocutor with a lot of trenchant ideas. So, you know, thank you. Oh, I'm so honored that you have me in such esteem. She seduced you with the red background. This was all of oh! anyone that reads that much background on the Matrix. She's like, I shall get him with the red. She is flying a my web. Yeah. Yeah. And then Pascal couldn't even ask a serious question. He was just drooling all over himself the whole time. Susie is constantly seducing. It's not enough to be liked. 
Yeah. <laughs> that needs to be a seduced button, not just a like button. Definitely. Oh. It's the super- right. <laughs> I need to stop pressing that button. It's going to, you know. <laughs> Why seduction is. <laughs> you keep pressing the seduce button, not like. <laughs> oh, my God. That's why they don't stay. So, Susie, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, thank for you so much. Really this morning. Very fun. Um, I look forward to revisiting our very edited episode on uh, on fatal dates uh <laughs> she has too. an episode up right now whenever this airs which i think will be soon where you're talking with a man who does second life that's right dragster that's right that was that's that was actually a real interesting uh conversation and you let it yourself go into second life as well he, he, we were talking about, he's someone who is called Bernard Drax, but um, his avatar name is Draxter, and he spends a lot of time in Second Life. He's an important person there. And I was talking to him about what it's like to have an avatar, to have a kind of double life. And what was very interesting in that episode is, despite everything he said to me, he's a lot more comfortable in Second Life where he can, you know, he can call the shots. And it was very interesting to have a conversation through you know, these on-screen technologies and then to have a conversation back in Second Life. But he made the point, it's a good point. These things are no, or also unreal. And talking on a screen for many people who are not extroverted people is a much more difficult process than talking behind a cartoonish avatar. But um, anyway, that's a long discussion. May I recommend that you 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 can you can watch it, check out my show. You'll see me talking to Drax about these things and you'll see us in Second Life. Yeah, that was interesting. So Susie Kleeman, nice. I believe you wrote the first novel on Zero too, right? That's not true. Zero published various novels, but I think my novel Twice is one of the first ones for a while that they that they had published. We'll just lie. That means it's the best one. Yeah, there you go. We'll <laughs> it's lie. definitely the best. First one. novel on Zero Books, Susie Kleeman. There you go. <laughs> is it true? Who gives a shit? I said it. There you go. It's, I said it on the internet. That means it's real. <laughs> Keeping it unreal. Okay, good. Keeping it unreal here. This is revolution. <laughs> Pascal, do you have any parting words for for Susan before we? Get I really on? appreciate this conversation, Susan. I like Susan. I like you to come on the show again so we can investigate these these concepts in more detail. Thank you. I'd be honored to. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to. Awesome. Auntie, do you have any uh, parting words for our guests? I am writing questions for your next interview right now. So you have to come back. <laughs> but, but but MC, I want to say I'm going to. Eventually, not immediately, but I'm going to have a, a woman's show where we talk about the dates that I've been on. And and it would be an honor if, if you would consider coming on to talk about the kind of girl chat about the dates I've been on, on mm. my fatal dates, mm-hmm. and, and to, talk, to, to kind of to give the women's side to stuff. So, you know, I, if you coming on to I smell that, a view be. for smart people. That's what I smell. <laughs> sounds it sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> It sounds awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, subscriber only content. We'll see. We'll see. That that is really worth a patron subscription, right there. I think a lot of men would be terrified. Money, the original simulation. There you go. And there you go. Anyway, we could talk on a lot more, but 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 but. Oh um, my God! I really yeah. That's that's the MT. You got to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to. Okay. Okay. Say no Fantastic. Susie, thank, so thank you very much for hanging out with thank us. You can watch you. her show on Sublation's YouTube channel, Fatal Dates. On behalf of Pascal, MT, Susie Kleiman, MT, we are out.
Love it.